0: Welcome to the Adwoke Podcast. My name is Brett Craig, and here's my story. I'm a former chief creative officer that worked at two of the biggest ad agencies on the West Coast for some of the most famous brands in the world. About two years ago, I was canceled for a five year old casting email that someone posted on Instagram. I used some imperfect language, it was taken out of context, and it all happened in the middle of the racial tensions of 2020. The social media mobbing that ensued in the comment section below my email posted on Instagram caused me to lose my job and to be called some rather ugly names that I never thought I'd be called. Suddenly I went from the top of my career to no career at all, canceled. Even friends that supported me privately wouldn't come near me publicly. I'm a Christian and I do believe that God is working all things together for my good, but it was quite honestly one of the most devastating experiences of my life. But it was also strangely liberating. I woke up to a new world, full of uncertainty, but also full of opportunity. The opportunity to do something in short supply in the corporate world today. Tell the truth. I no longer had to be conflicted promoting ideas I don't agree with, and in these times of deceit, I counted a privilege to be able to speak honestly. That's what the AdWoke podcast is all about. I'm going to give it to you straight, we're going to occasionally laugh, and I'm going to say the things you're not allowed to say. Not because I just want to be provocative, although the truth is often provocative, but because I believe the truth will set you free. Welcome to the AdWoke podcast. We are going to talk about how to end cancel culture. But first, a word from our sponsor, Woke Airlines. That's right, Woke Air, the most inclusive cockpit in the sky. Because when you're in severe turbulence, we know what matters to you most, how diverse our pilots are. After all, diversity makes everything better because, well, that's what you post, you're post you supposed to say about diversity, especially when you're a corporation who's held captive by DEI. On Woke Air, leaning your seat back is considered a microaggression. Unless a white male is behind you, then it's all good. Fly with us and you'll discover that emotional safety comes first and actual safety comes last. On Woke Air, there is no first class. Everyone is equally miserable. And middle seats are only for white people because white privilege don't fly here. Not vaccinated, not a problem. We offer in-flight vaccinations and boosters. Masks are required even when eating though, So that's for your safety. Woke Air, fly the woke skies. All right, all right. Let's get into it now. And as usual, caveat, I'm just kidding around. We have to be able to joke. We have to. have to be able to do it. All right, let's get into it. Well... Today, we are going to talk about how to end cancel culture. Now, I've talked a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I want to talk about a subject that is quite related to DEI, in my opinion, and that is cancel culture. Now, how is DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, related to cancel culture? Well, DEI teaches people to problematize language, to see race and gender bias everywhere, and to view the world through an oppressor-slash-oppressed lens. And all of that will ensure more people will be canceled in the future because DEI teaches people to get offended, micro-offended even, right? Micro-offenses. And so people do get offended. And when people get offended, usually what can often follow is the cancellation of someone. Some blood has to be spilled for the offense, even if it's a five or 10-year-old offense. It doesn't matter. And we hear so much about cancel culture. We know it's happening, it's real of course, and the phenomenon seems to be growing exponentially if you have not noticed. And I think of stories that once seemed rare, like I think of professors uh Brett Weinstein and his wife Heather eyeing of Evergreen College. Check out their story if you haven't. It's a harrowing tale of how they were essentially hunted by a social justice student protest mob back in 2017 and basically forced off their campus and out of their jobs. I mean these two were very progressive by the way. Uh, But because they wouldn't leave campus for a day of absence, as it was called at the time, where white people were asked to leave the campus to make space for people of color, which Brett and his wife, Heather, believed was racist and they were right. So they didn't want to leave and protested. Uh, And by not leaving. Uh, And of course, there was Jordan Peterson, who, if you know about him, he was attacked at University of Toronto because he refused to have his speech compelled by being forced to announce his personal preferred pronouns uh, or to use personal pronouns. Uh, and there's been plenty of pop culture examples of cancellations, like Chris Harrison on The Bachelor, or Piers Morgan, or Sharon Osbourne. There's so many canceled people, too many people, too many details to go over, but they were all canceled for various ridiculous reasons, usually for just having an unpopular opinion. Uh, and I think of Chief Marketing Officer Jennifer Say from Levi's, um, who was uh lost her job about a year ago or something like that in the middle of COVID, who simply questioned the masking of kids and remote learning and COVID policy, and she was denied the CEO position of Levi's. Or to be fair, she could have had the CEO position, as I understand it, if only she would have been quiet about. COVID policy she disagreed with, as the leadership at Levi's asked her to be. Uh, And when she wouldn't be quiet about the harm she thought was being done to kids, uh, she essentially was canceled, denied a promotion because of her convictions. That's the end of your career aspirations for Jennifer Say. and now, to be fair, uh, the folks on the uh, center and the right seem to be the most canceled. And, but to be fair, the cancellations aren't reserved only for the right. They happen to people on the left as well. One notable cancellation on the left was Alexi McCammond, who was about to become teen, uh, the editor of Teen Vogue in 2021 until some of her tweets reemerged ten years uh, from 10 years earlier which were apparently homophobic and anti-Asian. Now, she had addressed these tweets already, apologized for them apparently already, but no matter, due to pressure, she resigned from her post at Teen Vogue before she even began. Alexi McCammon was woke, by the way, and yet the woke canceled her. This is an interesting phenomenon when the woke eat their own, uh, but they do do that. Eventually, the woke eat everyone. That said, it's still ugly and it's sad and it's it's just, I think it's terrible that cancel culture is merciless in this way and seems to regard people who make mistakes as beyond redemption, right? Even for like a 10-year-old tweet, which is a terrible and impossible standard. To hold anyone to. And the cancellations aren't just for what you say you might have noticed. It can be for what you do or you don't do. Now, I think about the injection mandates in which many Fortune 500 companies coerce their employees at the threat of losing their livelihood. This, too, is a form of cancellation that millions were suddenly confronted with. And basically, corporations said uh, during the middle of COVID, get the magical elixir that doesn't stop spread or infection and is now uh, being warned uh, to pregnant women that you ought not take it. But anyway... um, Take it or you will lose your job. And this happened to millions of people in both private and public institutions. And I believe this, too, is a manifestation of cancel culture. Why? Well, because many people, many thousands of people, suffered reputational harm in their company uh, you know, in front of their coworkers, with their coworkers, and also in many cases, lost their ability to earn a living, or at the very least, many had their ability to make a living suffer substantially because they wouldn't give up their bodily autonomy in order to keep their job, a choice they should not have had to make. Of course, there are people who get canceled because they are unrepentant abusers, I just want to point that out, lawbreakers, and bigots like say, uh, Richard B. Spencer. Uh, white supremacist or a sex abuser like Harvey Weinstein. I'm not talking about holding these types who should be held accountable, especially when they're breaking the law. We should do that. I'm talking about the canceling of decent people who simply made a mistake or very often took a position that was simply unpopular at the time or was not sufficiently woke. And of course, the left likes to say cancel culture is just holding people accountable. But I call baloney on that, destroying people's lives because they don't agree with every woke totalitarian view on who to vote for, whether to inject yourself or your kids, or whether to put pronouns on your email signature. Sorry, no, that's not accountability. That's just bullying people. And that's what cancel culture, cancel culture ultimately is. It's bully culture. Before we talk about how to end this bully culture called cancel culture, let's put a tighter definition on cancel culture. So it's something like this. It's permanent reputational harm for a mistake or for a convictional position an individual takes that runs against the dominant woke culture and those who have institutional power which then affects one's ability to even make a living. Let me read that one more time. It's permanent reputational harm for a mistake or for a convictional position an individual takes that runs against the dominant woke culture or those who have institutional power, which then affects one's ability to even make a living. And we see this happening all over the place, and it's getting worse. Now, when all this canceling started, it seemed like it started on the campus. And I gave the Jordan Peterson example, and Brett Weinstein, and Heather Eying, and there's so many more people that have been canceled, professors and high school teachers. And, but it seemed to start on the campus. And I'll admit, at that time, uh, around 2017-ish, uh, cancel culture felt far away from me as a chief creative officer at a major agency. Certainly, I thought This kind of cancel culture behavior is localized to a super far left sort of university setting with young, angry leftists like at Evergreen State. But it wasn't more than a few years later that I experienced being canceled myself for a five-year-old casting email that was posted to Instagram during the height of those racial tensions uh, with George Floyd that summer. Uh, And through that experience, I got to sort of understand firsthand what it feels like to be canceled and essentially be reputationally slaughtered, as it were, and have your whole world blown up. And because getting canceled happened to me, and because I see this trend only growing, and I think it's just a byproduct of a new, woke, totalitarian mind virus of intolerance, and since I believe that cancel culture, or some form of it, uh, as even the injection mandates proved, is eventually coming for everyone, including you, I felt like I'd rather not just sit here and spend time on what you already know about cancel culture— namely that it's happening and that it's real and that it's getting worse and, yes, that it's coming for everyone. What I would like to talk about is the fix to cancel culture. How do we end this totalitarian nightmare on humanity that is tearing the fabric of society, which is stifling free speech, which is hurting good people and destroying lives? How do we end it? And here's the thing. I believe ending cancel culture is not complicated, but it is hard. Uh, the way that cancel culture can be stopped and, and we can put an end to it, and it's not rocket science, it's simply this. We all have to stop being complicit in it. That's right. We can't be a party to cancel culture in any way. And I'm afraid too many of us are complicit in cancel culture to one degree or another. And what do I mean by being complicit in cancel culture? Well, let me give you a couple of, ex- of examples of what I mean so it's clear. One way to be complicit in cancel culture is by capitulating to the mob and issuing that standard mea culpa apology that signals that you will do the bidding of the mob. What does that look like? What do I mean? Uh, Simple. It's that fake apology where you say all the things the woke mob demands that you say. And you become a useful idiot to the woke tyrants that are braying for your blood. Now, speaking for myself, I understand the temptation to do this. In my case, uh, I could have gone along with this kind of grovelly apology to save my career, my 22-year career, the great salary, the perks that come with being a chief creative officer of an ad agency, and someone in the C-suite of a major company— all I had to do is come out and say all the things. For instance, I needed to say, uh, admit my white privilege, uh, say that I realized my words were very harmful to some generalized, unspecific group of people. I just needed to say I was learning about my unconscious bias and racism and I am committed to, quote, doing the work to be a better anti-racist, blah, 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 blah. I think you know what that insincere script I'm talking about is. It's just issue that canned apology that everyone knows is inauthentic Uh, but is merely designed to allow the woke angel of death to pass over you and thus maybe allow you to keep your job and also your current cush life and all the perks and benefits that come with it. But if I had done that, if I had issued that fake mea culpa apology, I would have been complicit in creating more cancel culture. Why? Because I would be demonstrating to the mob, to my employees, to everyone that saw it, that I can be manipulated I can be manipulated to say things that violate my conscience and my belief, uh, beliefs. But if I had done that, I would have been complicit in creating more cancel culture. Why? Because I would have been demonstrating to the mob, to my employees, to everyone that I can be manipulated to say things that violate my conscience and my beliefs. Put enough pressure on me and I will fold. Why? Because my career, my status, and my money are too important for me to give up. So I'll just issue the apology. I'll say all the things you tell me to say. I'll violate my conscience and convictions. And hopefully, hopefully, I can keep what I have. Now, recently, this exact situation, fairly recently, it was five months ago. This exact situation played out with another chief creative officer in the ad uh, world. His name was Glenn Cole, the founder of 72 and Sunny, which is a major Los Angeles ad agency. Uh, Now, I want to say Glenn Cole seems like a really nice guy from everything I can tell. So this is not to pick on Glenn, but merely to elucidate a bit on how even the victims and targets of cancel culture can unintentionally propel cancel culture forward. So a quick setup. Last spring. Uh, you might have seen this. I don't know, maybe if you're in the ad industry, you certainly saw this. Glenn Cole, the founder of ad agency 72 and Sunny in Los Angeles, found himself in hot water because he criticized, with a post on LinkedIn, Will Smith for slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. And I want to read to you what Glenn Cole said. Because it's impossible to understand the ridiculousness of all this, or what I'm trying to say here, without hearing what Glenn actually posted to LinkedIn five months ago. Uh, This is Glenn Cole's post uh, on LinkedIn. It said this. This is after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. He posted this. Glenn Cole posted this. 24 hours later, I'm still reeling. This is what it looks like to normalize violence. Marketers spend days and careers trying to create indelible moments and images that move culture and normalize new behaviors. We know how hard it is. You can spend hundreds of millions of dollars and still fail. New Coke, Google+, Zune, Trump Stakes, the list is long, but this one sticks. It is indelible. During a night when so many other moments and images could have struck a universal chord, we got this one. What will come from it? I feel sad for Chris Rock. I feel sad for Questlove. I feel sad for my kids, caught between my drive-to-school dad's speech condemning violence and Jaden Smith's fist-pumping tweet, and that's how we do it. I feel sad for our culture. One of these men got a standing ovation but it was not the one publicly assaulted and humiliated. Nothing has been said yet to address the potential consequences of this normalization. There's no meaningful action to counterbalance it. There's no meaningful conversation around violence in our country. There's no meaningful conversation around Chris Rock's well-being. Then he goes on to say, uh, I enjoy Will Smith's movies and shows and music. I appreciate his performance in King Richard and the movie's message of nonviolence. I believe he wants to do good things with his influence and position. But when you have the power to create indelible moments and images like he does, like everyone in that room does, like many of us do, the standard must be higher. We must hold each other to it, both in action and reaction. Culturally, it's clear we have work to do on both fronts, but what is the work? A crisis is so often an opportunity. What is it here? For those of us in the commercial arts and media arts, maybe we can start by encouraging a little less obsession on the indelible moments and images and a little more focus on the meaningful conversations and consequences. Or maybe we could use our influence with brands and media to make empathy and compassion more culturally cool. Or maybe we need to work on an open creative brief with no deadline or budget. Normalize love. Let's create dope things, not duels of honor. Let's create Let's celebrate clever responses, not violent reactions. Let's get off the Joe Rogan supplements and get our S-H-I-T together. Glenn. It was signed off with a little G, lowercase g. Now, let's put the Joe Rogan supplements jab aside at the end of Glenn's post there, which was Glenn's way of signaling to the ad community that he is not some toxically masculine right-winger like, say, Joe Rogan. But we'll just leave that alone. Mainly... What I hear in Glenn Cole's post is just a concerned dad. A concerned American who really likes Will Smith, because he even says so in there. Like most of us, he probably grew up watching him like I did, but was worried about what that moment at the Oscars signified about our culture. I think it's clear that Glenn Cole was bummed that his kids saw that slap, and he was right to be concerned about it. It was a terrible, embarrassing, and sad moment for everyone, including Will Smith, who issued an apology that only supports everything Glenn Cole said in his post. This was a terrible moment for Jada Pickett-Smith, for Will Smith, Chris Rock, the Oscars, and America. But the moment Glenn Cole posted that statement on LinkedIn, and I saw it, I remember as a person who's been canceled as a white male, I knew Glenn was in trouble. Because Glenn is the very embodiment of a couple of things you don't want to be in today's diversity, equity, inclusion office environment. Glenn is actually... uh, on the bottom of the intersectional totem pole, as it were, because he is white, he is male, he is cisgendered, and he is the founder of an agency, which means he's an oppressor by definition, according to the lazy and crazy logic of DEI, uh, which does not judge individuals. Uh, it just takes in external characteristics about you and then decides if you're an oppressor or an oppressed person. So Glenn just needed to be quiet, of course, as you know. But of course, what Glenn said in his post, again, was actually right. It wasn't about color. Glenn's post was a natural reaction to a very sad moment and felt like the reflections of someone who simply was searching for answers out loud. You can disagree with the post from Glenn with the wisdom of even posting that in today's diversity, equity, inclusion climate, but certainly it should not be beyond the pale that Glenn posted it. And frankly, Glenn was right, in my opinion. Like I said, even Will Smith himself agreed with Glenn that it was a terrible moment for him. There was no excuse for it. Well, Glenn Cole, as you might guess, was mobbed in the comment sections on the post with the usual types of attacks. One of those was, This Ain't It, G. Yeah, you've heard that one before. That's what the woke always say. That ain't it do better, do the work. That's your privilege talking. You know, all the pat attacks from the woke that we've become accustomed to. Another comment from another outspoken creator that I happen to uh, know just said Glenn period, no period. Okay. And 525 comments later on this LinkedIn post from Glenn Cole, we have a growing controversy for our founder of 72 and Sunny that is threatening to spin out of control. Now, I have no clue what Glenn Cole was being told privately, but clearly his post was developing into a PR nightmare for 72 and Sonny. And so 24 hours later came the obligatory mea culpa from Glenn Cole in which he made an update to his original post. And that update said this updated, updated. I learned a lot in the last 36 hours. Several peers and friends advised me to pause, listen, and expand my field of vision on this topic. I am doing that. This involves more victims, communities, nuance, context, and history than I acknowledged. My narrow lens also hurt people I admire and respect. I apologize. A few other learnings. Be less reactive. Seek more perspective from the black and affected communities. I guess, did Will Smith slap the black community? I thought he slapped Chris Walk, but I, I digress. Glenn, Glenn continues in his post, Be mindful of hypocrisy. I am committed to personal growth and progress on a journey to be anti-racist. I left the original post an image. To, he goes on to say, to respect the conversation and learn from it. Thank you for your insight and candor. All right. Obviously, Glenn's post was put in a racial context even though race had nothing to do with Glenn's post. And that is all thanks to the new DEI environment we find ourselves in because leaders of agencies allow DEI in the door, and DEI teaches people to see race as a factor in every human interaction and look for oppression in every human interaction. So, of course, Glenn, in his post, is playing the part of the white oppressor. And, well, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett, though they are worth a few hundred million, they are famous and privileged in every way imaginable, they are somehow the victims here, as well as some unspecified group of people, namely the woke uh, in the ad industry who were letting Glenn know that they were super hurt-slash-indignant that he criticized Will Smith slap of Chris Walk, Rock. Okay, so Glenn obviously felt he needed to essentially issue that apology for the sake of appeasing the mob and saving the agency because they were in damage control mode, clearly Probably his own job as well was in Jeopardy. Again, this is that canned apology that I'm talking about that people who are on the canceling chopping block feel they must make. This is the same mea culpa that everyone knows is not authentic. It's not authentic at all. Chris Harrison from The Bachelor, Drew Brees' apology uh, in the NFL, they all sound exactly the same. And this apology is merely designed to allow the woke angel of death to pass over you, and thus you are allowed to perhaps keep your job and your current life and all the perks and benefits that come with said lifestyle. Okay, like I said, Glenn Cole seems like a really nice person with a long career, and I can't remember ever hearing a bad thing about Glenn's character. Certainly nothing about him being a racist in any way. Yet, Glenn felt compelled for various reasons that only he fully knows to issue that Maoist, Struggle session statement, which signaled to the mob and the DEI czars in control of ad agencies and all Fortune 500 companies that Glenn will be obedient, and so he cut a deal with the devil. He's made a Faustian bargain with cancel culture. But there's always a catch in this Faustian bargain. Any time you make one with the woke, you have to say things you don't believe, things you know are untrue about the situation and about yourself. You have to play along with this very ugly cancel culture, and by doing so. You now, in your own small way, have ensured the cancel culture will continue. Again, I don't want to pick on Glenn. He is just typical, right? When people are put in positions like this, about to lose everything they worked for for simply stating a valid opinion, this is often what they do. But I'm just pointing out here, by doing it, we are all fueling cancel culture by playing along with it and thereby ensuring it will happen again to someone else. See, by playing along with the mob and admitting to things we don't really believe, we might uh, save our career in the short term, but we have lost our integrity by doing so. We have compromised on our convictions, convictions which are very often absolutely legitimate and within people's right to articulate without having to lose their livelihood. This is what I mean by complicity in cancel culture. Cancel culture in the ad industry got stronger after, after the Glenn Cole incident. Every ad industry leader took notice and took notes. And the note is this, especially if you're white and male, be quiet. Keep your head down, don't comment on culture, particularly if a person of color of any kind is involved. Do what we tell you or risk losing everything. So cancel culture won, and you can be sure that free speech and truth lost in the ad world. And this incident helped ensure that it's all going to get worse. The censorship, the walking on eggshells, the stifling of dissent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The pitchforks and the torches will be back because cancel culture works. And guess what? 72 and Sunny is now captured. Now the mob knows they can manipulate and coerce 72 and 70, and so they will. In this way, a victim or the target of cancel culture can be complicit in perpetuating cancel culture when they capitulate and compromise their convictions, their integrity, their beliefs, in order to save themselves all to keep their job, their rep, their money, etc. And believe me, I want to say this, I get it. I get it. Again, this is not to pick on Glenn. Glenn Cole only did what 99.9% of people would do in his situation. But unfortunately, when the target of cancel culture capitulates to the mob and recants their convictions and beliefs that they held only 24 hours earlier, it only guarantees that we'll see more canceling of people. As long as cancel culture works, it will, yes, keep working. Now, there's another way we can be complicit in cancel culture. And there's probably more ways than this, but I'm just going to give you two today. If we stand by... Silently, why someone else is reputationally destroyed who doesn't deserve it. Right? If we stand by silently when someone else is reputationally destroyed who doesn't deserve it, that is being complicit in cancel culture. And too often we do stand by Id- idly, right? We watch someone be destroyed who we know is a good person that's being canceled. Often it might be even within our power to stand up for that person. Perhaps we know their character, we spent time with them personally, we know who they are and what they've done. And we know that there may be even a person that we think highly of. Maybe we even occupy some position of power or leverage or have an ability to defend that person in a sort of a resonant and authentic way, but we stay silent out of fear. In the case of my cancellation, a single brave person did stand up for me. Uh, They wrote a defense of my character when I was accused of uh, writing an allegedly racist casting email. I get bored of telling the story, but that's what happened, which was actually a casting email taken out of contest. And you can listen to my story of how I was canceled on on a podcast by Isaac Simpson called The Carousel, uh, where I tell the whole story. It's too much to go into here. But in any case, a certain individual who happened to be an immigrant and a person of color, POC, as the left likes to say, I guess that's the new appropriate way to say it, wrote a beautiful letter in defense of my character. And they had worked with me. For two years and kind of saw me behind closed doors, and they had a long time to watch me and watch how I behaved in the office. Well, long story short. Um, their defense of me, which came in the form of a social post, went viral. It just blew up. I mean, literally, I remember just, it was just going up by thousands of views every day. And why did it blow up? Because people were outraged that this person defended me. And partly, I think because his post was so sincere and it resonated as true. And so, what happened next? This person, under tremendous pressure, took the post that defended my character down. Why? Well, they explained to me they might not ever work in the ad industry again, and they couldn't risk that, which I totally understand. And I totally appreciate that this person spoke up for me, and it meant and still means so much to me that they did that. But still, they ultimately took down the post. This defense of my character, uh, when it mattered most, really. Uh, why? Because it would have cost this person something and potentially it would have cost them a lot. Now, when I was canceled, I can't tell you how many people from all backgrounds, including many black friends, privately supported me. But not one of these people in the ad industry would publicly support me. I would often hear things like, well, I tell everybody what a great guy you are. And I've said to people before, like, unfortunately, that doesn't help a person who's being reputationally slaughtered and canceled. Um, Private conversations about what a swell person you are don't matter. Um, again, and this is what I mean by being complicit in cancel culture, by remaining silent. And we tell ourselves a million lies to make ourselves feel better about our silence. Well, what, what can I do? I mean, well, you know, he or she really should have said that. And don't they know you can't say that? Well, it, it's not happening to me and probably never will. And that's just unfortunate for that person, et cetera, et cetera. I'll give one more example of standing by in silence uh, when someone is being sort of canceled and uh, their livelihood is being threatened when it's in your power to do something. And so I, I was listening to a couple people talk the other day. They happen to be very successful uh, people um, that high up in their companies. And I was just over listening their comments during the middle of sort of the COVID nuttiness uh, when companies were demanding that their employees get vaxxed or lose their job. And this person was just explaining that he has this top sales person uh, as a woman Uh, who is just fantastic in every way, just crushing it, crushing the numbers, just delivering for him. And he's so bummed because uh, that person does not want to get vaccinated. Uh, And he just feels so terrible about it that she's going to lose her job. And I remember listening and going, wow, this person doesn't seem to feel any obligation to advocate for his employee's reasonable request for bodily autonomy. Uh, And I guess, I'm guessing, he just calculated that it would be in his best interest to remain quiet because to risk speaking up for her would possibly mean getting canceled himself. You know, He could lose his position, maybe lose a promotion, maybe uh, be labeled a problematic employee. And it didn't seem to even occur to him that he had any obligation to advocate for his best salesperson, his best employee. This is complicity in cancel culture. When we have the opportunity and the power to defend others we know are good people and we don't, we are then complicit. This is why cancel culture continues. Our complicity is ensuring that it continues. There's this great visual, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, It's basically a visual of a large group of people being whipped by a person, and they're all on their knees being whipped. And the next image is the same image, but one person is standing now, and they're being whipped still. Uh, while everybody else is kneeling. And in third image, about five, ten more people are standing with the whipped person who's still being whipped. And the rest of the people are still kneeling. In the final picture, it is 150 people standing. The man with the whip has put the whip down. Uh, I love that analogy for how we defeat cancel culture and totalitarianism. So the simple answer to ending cancel culture, which is destroying our society by destroying people's lives, destroying careers, people's ability to earn, which is leading to stifled speech, which is destroying honest communications, human relationships, and creating a climate of constant fear is not to be complicit in it. Don't apologize for things you ought not apologize for. That is not humility, by the way. That's false humility. That's only being done in order to save yourself. Issuing fake apologies is ultimately just a form of lying, and it only affirms the broken moral universe of cancel culture. And we can't sit by, none of us can, and I'm including myself in this, by the way, when our friends, coworkers, etc., are destroyed when it's in our power to speak up for someone. That blood is on our hands when we allow that to happen. And it's foolish to think that we will escape cancel culture if we're willing to be complicit in it by being silent. Why would anybody speak up for you if you wouldn't speak up for them? Cancel culture counts on the silence of good and decent people, just like bullies count on the silence and complicity of good and decent people who stand by and watch as they bully weaker people. As long as no one will stand up to the bully, or in our case, cancel culture, then it ensures that this sick culture of personal destruction will continue. So as I said, the solution to cancel culture is not complicated. We can't be complicit in bowing to it when it comes for us. And we can't stand by silently as it comes for our neighbor. And that's why I said ending cancel culture is not complicated, but it is hard. And here's the hard part. The hard part of it all is that we must be willing, and this is key, to pay a price for not being complicit in cancel culture. Not going along with the crowd. This is what is so hard about ending cancel culture. And I just want to flesh this out a bit more. After being canceled myself and really having a hard time, uh, or having a lot of time, actually not a hard time, a hard and long time, to reflect on how cancel culture works from a social standpoint and to think about why cancel culture seems to be only growing and getting worse, This verse from the Bible took on new meaning for me. And it's Jesus talking here, and it's Luke 17 33. Uh, Jesus says this He says, Whoever tries to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will save it. And you're thinking, Brett, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with cancel culture? Good question. Now, admittedly here, I just want to be clear, Jesus is not talking about cancel culture, obviously. He's referring to what it takes to follow him. And he's referencing the idea that to be a follower of Christ is to lose your life because he requires that you lay down your life just as he did, uh, your wants, your desires, your goals, and pursue his goals, his desires, his wants for your life. Uh, And bizarrely, in God's economy, via this exchange, while you might lose your life, right? You're going to have to put your material kind of the life you thought you were going to have in this world kind of aside. Uh, You'll lose that life. You're going to gain true life here and in the afterlife to come. And that's what Jesus is actually talking about here. But I think there's also a very practical application in those words to cancel culture regarding this idea of trying to save your life only to lose it. When we're complicit in cancel culture, we're complicit because we're trying to preserve our life right? That's what's underneath this. Our status, our job, our money, our lifestyle. I mean, if we're honest, that is what is motivating our capitulation, our silence in the face of cancel culture. We're afraid of what we're going to lose. And this is totally understandable. We are human, right? I am human. You are human. Our flesh is weak. We understandably worry about how we're going to go feed ourselves, our kids. Uh, We don't want to lose our status that we worked for, our career or Uh, just the way people regard us in the broader culture. We worry uh, what people will think of us if we speak up or stand our ground. We're worried about what will happen if we stand up to this thing called cancel culture. So most often, what do we do? We become complicit in cancel culture because we want to save our current life. But remember what Jesus said, whoever tries to save their life will lose it. Again, how is that relevant to cancel culture? When we're complicit and cancel culture by capitulating to the demands of the woke mob or by silently standing by while others are destroyed, especially when it's in our power to defend someone. We're doing it to save our own lives, to keep our stuff, to keep the good times rolling, as it were. But Jesus' observation is so insightful and powerful because while we may save our life by doing that, in another way, we've now lost our life. We've lost a life of meaning, a life of integrity a life of conviction. And ironically, we've often lost something else. We've lost the respect of others because people now know our silence and our capitulation can be bought for a price. Though we might have preserved our material lifestyle in this exchange, in essence, we've lost our soul and we've helped move the world a little closer to hell, as Jordan Peterson often likes to say. So in that sense, by trying to save our life, In being complicit in cancel culture, we've lost our life. And what I mean is, we've lost that best version of our life, which is living in the truth. Instead, we've violated our conscience. We've gone along with the crowd. We've gone along with evil, ultimately. We've propelled cancel culture forward. All to save ourselves, but we've actually lost our life because we lost our integrity. We've lost the respect of others and the respect for ourselves. We've confront we've been confronted at that point with the fact that we can be bought for a price because uh, a fulfilling life, and I really believe this, is a life in which we stood for something and lived for something more than our things, our status, our money, and our stuff. Right. What Jesus is saying is is if you pursue this world, if you make money and status your God, you will indeed gain the world. You might gain it. Some people never do. You will save your worldly life as it were, but you'll lose your soul because you'll compromise with the world. You'll try to make friends with it. I think it's interesting that Jesus also says that we can't serve money and God we will either serve one or the other, but we can't serve both. And even that comes home to me in this uh, conversation we're having about cancel culture. Because ultimately, it's money and things and preservation of our lifestyle that is driving our decision making. So up front, I said stopping cancel culture is not complicated, but it is hard. Because to stop cancel culture, we all have to be willing to pay a price. We have to be willing to lose valuable things, status, money, a promotion. Our lifestyle might well be affected, right, if we stand up to cancel culture. And I never knew how deep this truth was until my moment came. And that moment is coming to you. And it likely already has. And many more moments of truth are coming where you can try to save your life by going along with the herd, the cancel culture mob, capitulate, even though you know it's wrong. And if you do, you can save your current life, but you forfeit your conscience and perhaps ultimately your soul. So, so many today are going along with evil, saying things they don't believe, shaming others to make themselves look good, staying silent when people, even close friends, are canceled. They're not especially bad people, I don't think. They're just people, right? They're just simply trying to save their life. I get it. Uh, We all can and do succumb to this pressure at times. Jesus asked this question, it's another profound question, or profound uh, kind of rhetorical question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You gained all the material delights of the world, he's saying, but at the price of your soul. Uh, And you can look at that in an eternal sense, and I do as a Christian for sure, but you can also look at that in the temporal sense, in the metaphorical sense of losing your soul. It's the idea of losing your integrity, your convictions, your beliefs in this life, and then what are you left with? A corner office, nice clothes, a nice car, a Netflix account, a nice house. By the way, I'm not saying I have not been complicit in cancel culture at times. I think we all have been. Or that people that have been complicit in it are beyond redemption. No one is beyond redemption, right? What I am saying is, is there's a massive cost to being complicit in cancel culture. You will pay a price. We will all pay a price if we continue to be complicit by offering insincere apologies or failing to stand up for people who are being canceled or reputationally destroyed. We're living in a time where we are increasingly forced to make tough choices, right? And it's only going to get worse. For all the talk of, quote, tolerance, it's intolerance. We all know this. It's clearly on the rise. We all can see it. And it is coming to the doorstep of everyone. Do you love, and just think about this for a second, do you love your material life so much That you're willing to compromise your integrity to save your lifestyle, thereby becoming a shell of yourself and a person who lives to please the world? Or are you willing to lose privileges, money, and access or status in order to keep your integrity, to preserve your soul as it were, to go to sleep at night knowing you did what was right? As a culture, we are all making Faustian bargains all the time with the world. I thought this definition from Britannica of Faustian bargain is really really powerful. A Faustian bargain is made with a power that the bargainer recognizes as evil or amoral. Faustian bargains are by their nature tragic or self-defeating for the person who makes them, because what is surrendered is ultimately far more valuable than what is obtained, whether or not the bargainer appreciates that fact. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, whoever tries to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will save it. We compromise and capitulate with cancel culture to keep the perks of the world coming, not realizing by by doing so, we've become enslaved to the world. In doing so, we've chipped away at our dignity, our integrity, and we've lost our life in a sense. A rich and purposeful life lived with integrity and conviction. Would you lose your worldly life in order to gain true life? This is what Jesus is talking about. It will cost you something to gain this kind of life. But Jesus says this kind of life springs up into eternal life and you'll never be thirsty again. I want to end with a really hopeful story. And I was having coffee with a guy recently. He Just wanted to have coffee with me. Wanted to understand more about production and advertising and things like that. So we went to coffee. And he told me a story that in the middle of the COVID insanity, he had decided he did not want to get the vax, even though his company was demanding that he take it. And he told me that the reason that he was able to hold to his decision, despite all the pressure and conviction, uh, hold to his convictions, was because a leader high up in the C-suite went to bat for him. And I don't think this guy high up in the C-suite was unvaxed. I think he was vaccinated, but he went to bat for him. Now, remember at the time, it was OSHA was demanding corporations inject every last employee or be fined and the employees would lose their or the employees would lose their job if they didn't get vaccinated. Uh, And this was tremendous pressure and almost every Fortune 500 company immediately did it, very few exceptions. Um, And hundreds of thousands of people did lose their livelihoods in corporations and also in government agencies, uh, police departments, fire departments, National Guard. It's still happening. Remember, at the time, too, our president blamed the entire pandemic on the unvaccinated at the time. And I only mention that to say that there was just tremendous pressure at the time to go along with this. Uh, In the face of this, this leader did the right thing for an employee that would have been canceled destroyed. His ability to earn would have been taken away unless he violated his conscience and his bodily autonomy, which he didn't want to do. That's not a position to put an employee in. And so he did the right thing. He stood up for him. This is what it looks like not to be complicit in cancel culture. There's nothing in it, uh, I don't think, for that guy's boss, but there was a lot to lose for that guy, uh, for the, his boss, his status, his corner office, his big salary, yet he stood up for his employee. He put that all on the line. I believe that the world is going to throw the kitchen sink at you and me in the coming months and years. Cancel culture in this new form of woke totalitarianism, this mass formation psychosis that seems to be coming for all of us. There is nowhere to hide. There are no sidelines in this game. We all have to make a decision and our decision will determine who we're going to be. What will you do in the face of this coming trial? The woke state-enforced totalitarianism won't broker a deal with you. It will demand that you capitulate, that you compromise. And like Satan who tempted Jesus by offering him the world if you would only kneel to him, that Faustian bargain will be offered to you. I invite you to lose your life and follow Christ in order to save your life. This world, it's passing away. You can see it coming undone right now. It's not worth trying to hold on to this at the cost of your soul. So how do we end cancel culture? by bravely standing up to it, knowing it will cost us something. That's the key, right? We stand up knowing it will cost us something, maybe something even dear to us. Each of us in our own way and our own time, we're going to be tested, but stand up we must. We can't make friends with cancel culture thinking we'll escape because no one will ultimately escape. We can't capitulate and abase ourselves by falsely agreeing to cancel culture's terms in order to be reinstated in polite society. We can't be silent when others are reputationally destroyed, when we have the power to defend them, or at least try. Or we will lose our integrity, our country, our very lives, ironically, by trying to save our life. Thanks for joining the AdWoke podcast. Hang in there. And until next time, remember, you're not crazy. They are.